0: Hi, this is Ben. I'm one of the producers of the Backseat Driver podcast. This episode is a bit different than episodes we've done in the past. If you haven't listened to episode 11 with Annette Klingler yet, I suggest you go listen to that first. We recorded this episode after recording the episode with Annette. We were so impressed with just her courage and resolve in the face of so much challenge that we took a little bit to reflect. So we hope you enjoy this and thanks for listening. Welcome to Backseat Driver, the podcast hosted by two practicing psychotherapists, where we boil down years of experience with clients young and old to teach you how to do the what to do to improve your life and relationships.
1: I'm Mark Yamada, clinical psychologist in Seattle.
0: And I'm Nikki Bennett, licensed clinical social worker in Salt Lake City.
1: It just kind of resonated me and kept echoing in my head the whole time after she had said that, the choice to live. And that's where it really took me into that she has lost so many things. And in some ways we can say most people would think she's lost everything. Even she herself said, I'm done. I got nothing. There isn't anything else. She did come around though to say, she kind of came to realize that choice, no matter what stuff happens to you, no matter what losses, what things are given and then taken away, choice is always there. That is one thing that never is lost. But I think it can be lost from your awareness that you have that. And when we get into deep suffering, Even myself sometimes, maybe you've had this too, Nikki, where you're so down in the low of something that I actually sometimes beat myself up by surrendering or throwing away choice by going something like this. No, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. And not realizing that I'm actually exercising a choice that I still have that to say that I'm going to quit. Yeah. But I, I was just so inspired, though, that as I was sitting there listening, her story took me into just an experience where I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to do anything to interrupt her because just listening and taking it all in was such a powerful experience that was inspiring, it was enlightening, that just sitting back quietly was a type of reverence that if I didn't do that I don't think I would have gained as much out of it. And I found myself not having a whole lot of commentary or things to say or do or ask because she was completely doing it all. And I was worried about doing something to disrupt that flow.
0: Yeah, quite an inspiration. Definitely top 1% of people that have inspired and influenced my life.
1: Yeah, just amazing, amazing. And it goes to another wonderful example of the show that we need each other and connection with one another. and deeper connection more meaningful connection can only be gained if we are willing to be vulnerable open and share our story and believe that our own life experiences and the learning and the changes that we go through truly can benefit somebody else to be able to hear that and you know there's a oh go ahead mark yeah yeah you know i think there's always a message that our own stories we tend to be most critical about and may minimize or poo-poo them down. But to somebody else, it could be, how many times have you talked with somebody? It's been a lot where they later tell you, Nikki, that's the thing I needed to hear.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting too, because we've talked about this before, you know, just like there's a tendency to be afraid to share a story for shame of what will people think about me. Yeah, there's also
1: things like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There also tends to be a, you know, shame around gosh, well my story compared to that. Are you kidding? I have nothing to complain about. And yet, you know, and that has never, ever made me feel that way. In fact, she has said that hearing my story, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, horn I'm just trying to to illustrate a point that she has said, I'm so grateful that you had the courage to stand up there and talk about your struggles with anxiety and body image. Mm-hmm. Because that's the moment that I wrote in my journal, you know, this is what's next, or whatever the phrase was. Like, we never know how our story is going to impact or influence someone else. Sometimes it's just the courage to show up and share our story. It doesn't have to be, you know, a net story.
1: Yeah, to matter. Yeah, absolutely. That there's our tendency to think that we have to have something super grand for it to be meaningful, and I think sometimes we end up doing that because it's a way we protect ourselves from worried about being vulnerable or getting rejected or that it just won't fly very well. That you know, a person can end up thinking, okay, it, the grander my story is, the more likely I'm not going to get rejected or hurt or somebody's going to tell me that it wasn't good enough.
0: Exactly.
1: The reality is, look at children's books. Most children's books, if there's any type of a book that I love the most, it's kid books. And usually it's those short ones that, you know, have pictures that go along with them. They're genuinely really short. They're really thin. And they're really big. And And they're even better
0: when they rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) And they
1: usually only have one or two sentences on them. And then look at what the kiddos do with them. They want you to read them again and again and again. And it doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be big. In fact, sometimes if we start thinking that way, I think I can often end up complicating things when I try to think it has to be so sophisticated and scholarly or something like that, when a little scribble on a piece of paper is all that somebody needs.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember this. I, just, yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah I, I remember this uh, adolescent uh young lady that I worked with several years ago. I think she, it's been a number of years, so I'm thinking she was somewhere around eighth grade and was really struggling with feeling disconnected and lonely and wanted friends. And She brought me a little teeny torn strip of paper and had meticulously wrote on there the list of things that she was afraid of that she wanted my help with, but she couldn't fully verbalize it. So she wrote it on a piece of paper and it was maybe an inch wide by three inches long scrap piece of paper. And Nikki, I still have that 12 years later. Okay. It's like a little, it's like my little piece of treasure that somebody would bring that and Imagine that. Pencil scribbles, a list of fears on a torn scrap piece of paper. And I'll never get rid of that.
0: What does it mean to you? And
1: what's on it? I'm curious. Yeah. Things on it were, are fears that typically adolescents may have. I'm so worried that I'm not good enough for people to want to be my friend. Yeah. I go to school, but I feel lonely all the time. I don't know what to say if somebody says something to me. I'm so worried that I'll say the wrong thing or things like that of not feeling understood or being rejected. And for me,
2: helping her through that was
1: something I was able to do. But for her to bring me, that list of things and to share that with me, that's for me the grand treasure for me, that I was so privileged or blessed to have somebody tell me their greatest fears. To her, those were very, very sacred fears because she kept them inside and wouldn't share them with anybody. It was so touching that she would do that and I found it just so heartwarming that she did it on a piece of paper that was a scrap piece of paper. and Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but for me, the emotional meaning was she didn't really feel she had a whole lot and she didn't have to bring her list on some fancy piece of stationery that any little scrap of paper that she had was genuinely what she had and who she was. She had a pencil and that's what she used. And so symbolically, I also actually kept that and I taped it to my computer monitor. It was small enough, the writing, that anybody else coming into the office would not actually be able to read it unless they actually came up within a foot of my computer screen so they could actually read the note. So in that way, it was somewhat camouflaged from anybody else but I stuck it there because it was meaningful to me that she gave that to me. And I put it there because I wanted her to realize that every time she came in, she could actually see that I kept it there.
0: That's so cool. I have a similar thing. Um, One of my clients that came in struggling with anxiety, Mm -hmm. I talked to her about the fact that when we're able to get, into our creative mind because people who worry are anxious and are, but we're obviously people who worry are creative and intelligent. Uh And so if you channel that in in a way, you know, there's, there's often magic that happens. So I said, when's the last time I knew that she had been an artist. I said, when's the last time you painted? She said, Oh gosh, it's been years. She had four or five little kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want you to paint me a picture of where you are today and where you want to be. And she did the most incredible watercolor painting. The first one is her inside a bud, like an iris or something. And she's in there and she's got her head down. And you can just tell she's really drawn in and feels just the heaviness of everything in her life. And she wrote something on there like, you know, me, uh, safe, sad, but, you know, Keeping, keeping, playing small, staying safe.
2: Uh-huh. And the
0: next one was this iris blooming or this flower blooming and she's coming up out of the top of it and she's got one arm raised and it says exposed and vulnerable, but free. Gosh, that's so powerful. Everyone has a story.
1: And it's so deeply meaningful when they give you a piece of their work, their art, their poem, the, a letter, anything like that. And I love to hang on to those things because it's so personal. It's so real. It's such a powerful connection that when you look at those things or years later, you touch those things. Nikki, all the wonderful memories of the journey that I accompanied somebody on come back as though it were just happening again. Yeah. Maybe that's like rereading that children's book over and over and over again. It never gets old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So
0: tell me in hearing in that story, it's just, it's like you said, you find yourself speechless. I just had goosebumps the whole time thinking, Mm -hmm. wow, and yet she says, well, there's nothing special about me. It's just the human spirit. Yeah. How does that sit with you? Because I find my brains arguing with that, like, oh, no. You couldn't handle it if something really tough happened to you. And I think with people with anxiety, that's one of the places we go, is that, oh my gosh, what if, dot, 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 fill in the blank, I could never handle it.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One way that you might look at that is rather than look at it negatively as my anxiety is my plague that I've got to fight all the time, in some moments like this, I look at you when that happens, and I go, "Oh, well, that's just normal, Nikki. <laughs> I think to <don't> worry about." <laughs> and go, "Yeah, yeah, she's kind of doing a little bit of spin in there, but don't worry, it'll be all right." Now, I know you so well that I know that that's what will happen. But in the moment when you're when a person is going through it, absolutely, that's kind of what happens. That's what anxiety does. But Annette is showing this thing that. I think we all do is when we're striving to be genuine and striving to move through and grow, we're not looking at, she's not looking at her story in ranking it against somebody else's. She may have done that at some point. And usually when human beings do that, we're biased to rank it down. Do you notice that? Mine isn't as big good as yours.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I think we could look at that as totally normal. And we can kind of then get past that by normalizing it as a way to not stay stuck on it. And maybe for me, as you're asking me that question, it's just connecting to this middle school girl that I worked with where It is so meaningful to me that it came to me, this note she gave, that it was on a scrap. I just love the fact that it's on a scrap and it's a little crookedly written with pencil.
2: And more
1: and more realizing that in many ways, you're completely enough the way you are. Yeah, Yeah, that, that I am completely enough the way I am. It's just that as we're going through stuff, we don't really realize that until after or even quite a bit after we've been through something. It's amazing that there's an element of hindsight that is needed to actually be able to complete a piece of learning. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because trauma is one thing that I really avoided early Mm -hmm. in my career. I sort of referred it out and thought, oh no, I don't want to do that. That's gonna trigger me or and what I've learned is that sometimes like Annette said, there really is nothing you can say other than holding that space for that person and saying, gosh, I have no idea what this must be like for you, but I can relate to pain. I have experienced pain Mm -hmm. and I'm here for you and we'll breathe through this together. And it's just getting them to hold on for one more day.
1: Oh yeah. To hold on for one more day so that they can then hold on for one more day and realizing
2: that you don't have to have had the same
1: experience that somebody else has had, because the reality is we can't actually ever really do that. We can't have had the exact same experience because we're not them. I wasn't there. The cool thing is, you know how to be warm, you know how to listen, and they'll tell you what they want you to understand. That was a hard thing for me to learn in doing psychotherapy because initially in the early days, Nikki, my anxiety would drive me to feel like it wasn't a good session. Or how about this? I didn't think it was a good session unless I felt like I contributed something. (laughs) Totally. So I'd be sitting there listening in, trying to hone in. Okay listen so that I can make a comment, so that I can feel like I was helpful to the client. And that went on for a number of years in the early days for me. And realizing later that I was working so much harder than the client was to prove myself to them that I was a good psychologist.
0: Yeah, I'll find myself. I'm it's getting less and less as I get up there in the years. But in the beginning for sure, I would sit there and think, What am I gonna say next? What is my strategy? What what intervention am I gonna give them? How can I be effective? Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I don't even know what I'm doing. I shouldn't be here, I should refer this out.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And now oh you God. go into a session, you don't you, you look at your calendar and go, you might look at the schedule, you know, a half hour before, oh, oh, that person's coming in today. <laughs> we don't even look at the chart notes anymore because they will bias us as to what we're gonna do with the session or what's what's gonna happen.
0: Yes. Just and now we're just two people having a conversation. And yep. like you said, Mark, sometimes it's just holding space for that person mm-hmm. and just being there with empathy and compassion and sitting in it you know i had one client come in one time and his story was just horrific i mean but for him it was the first time he was Uh able to sit and tell his story with no there was no history between the two of us he hadn't nobody had a bias nobody had feelings about it or it was just me holding space for him and for his pain and there's so much healing in that
1: yeah, to exist and just be there and not have any fears or worries about being judged or you know, rejected in any way. Holding space—what a that should be core curriculum in school.
0: Absolutely, but it's not, is it? It's <laughs> how right. do we fix this? What's the diagnosis? What's the best intervention that's clinically proven? Instead of, I'm just gonna—we had NAMI come, the National Alliance for what is it Mark? National Alliance? Mentally ill. Okay. For the mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah. And they came and talked at our church actually about suicide. And, Uh you know, the speaker was just so, she said some really profound things. And one of them I remember and have never forgotten was just being with that person and letting them know that you see them, you hear them. And if they can just hold on for one more day, I'm going to breathe through this with you she said, I'll get texts from people saying, I'm just done. I'm done. I'm out. Like Annette said, you know, I'm giving it three months. And a lot of people will find that just by setting a date and saying, if I can make it to this date, okay, then, then I can end my life if things aren't better. Just by doing that, people feel a sense of relief. But she said, you know, I'll say to them, I hear you. I'm so sorry. I see you. I'm here for you. Let's breathe together. (laughs) Even though they're not in the same room, they're not even face to face, let's just breathe together through this. Let's just being there with them and offering that kind of support instead of trying to fix it. You know, during our call today I kept thinking, oh gosh, when's when's Mark gonna speak up? Is Mark gonna you know, I kept waiting and and making sure I I kept thinking, Am I taking too much space here and watching you? Uh But as you were talking, you know, when you first started processing this. It, it is such, and I've heard the story, I, I've been very familiar with the story now, but for you, it like you said, it's just a spiritual experience, just sitting and taking mm-hmm. someone's story and no matter what their story is.
1: Absolutely. And I'm hopeful that that's what's going to
2: happen for listeners, that they're going to just sit there fairly still almost like if they're in some kind of a
1: trance or something like that. And as they're hearing her voice describe her experience, they're connecting into it and by so doing, the space for them to exist develops and whatever they need to take, they'll take. And -hmm. whatever they need to let go of and leave behind, they will. Which is really, really cool that Annette was talking about you think and you want and you believe that you need certain things. And they're good things. Children, family, marriage, health. And she also realized I still exist even when I didn't have those.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: In realizing that is so powerful, perhaps our, some of our listeners will be able to glean some of that. I am hopeful for that—that that somebody well, out there will. In
0: the piece where she said, "You know, I—I I didn't even choose my own name." So much of what we have, what we do, who we think we are in life is just story.
2: Yeah. And we can tell
1: really good stories and we can also tell very bad stories. They're just stories and we can choose what story we're going to tell. And she's telling a story here that I listened in on today. And it was so captivating. And it was a story that I can't say that there's any particular thing stirring in my life this morning that I needed to hear that story. Right. But it was the kind of story that once she started
2: telling it, she had my full attention.
0: Absolutely. I'm curious. I... I'm sitting here thinking, well, here we have our next episode, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, What would you tell listeners and how do you treat, say Annette walks into your office uh, or someone like her, Mm -hmm. what is your approach? How do you, I mean, and we talked about holding space for that, but what would you say to a client who felt like, I'm out, I'm done?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: And also, can you speak to what Annette said? And we may scrap this piece, I don't know, but like, mm-hmm. is it truly just the resilience of human spirit? Because I hear that and I go, oh yeah, no way. If if that was me, I no way could I ever get through something like that. And I hope I don't ever have to try. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. There is a part of that that is truly the human spirit and the natural will to survive and to thrive and to keep going. That seems to be naturally wired and a strong force in most human beings. Not everybody will act or think or believe that way, but most people want to live. What happens is most people have a hard time dealing with pain and suffering, and that's a massively powerful distracting force that can cause you To either change your mind or intentionally fight against the force or will to live. It's really, I don't want to live anymore, literally or figuratively, as a way to say, I don't think I can, I don't want to continue to deal with this pain.
0: And what if it never goes away? Yeah. Yes. I know that feeling.
1: And it seems a little insensitive. However, it's really true that, that it there is what she was saying. It's a choice. How will I deal with pain? I am dealing with pain.
2: How am I going to deal with it?
1: I will yeah, never... what am I gonna do with it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, That that, that's kind of one of those. Oh darn it! Is that really true? Yeah. You will deal with pain. Period. Now you get to choose how you're gonna deal with that pain, what you're gonna do with it. It it reminds me of kind of a little phrase, a little ism that I often use with people when we're talking about this, is that it is a gift and a privilege to suffer. And if we embrace the suffering, and this is not vanity suffering, but if we embrace the suffering, we can use it or it can help facilitate the growth and transformation of your soul. That mindset change is not always easy to do. But that is one thing that I do have as an ever-present guiding concept when I'm dealing with people. So when somebody first comes into my office, Nikki, I don't actually know what I'm gonna say. In fact, I've practiced intentionally to not decide or pre-prepare what I'm gonna say or do. Uh-huh. As, as far as something specific, and I think that that's how you do it as well. <laughs> here's, here's kind of a funny way that I do I'm going. I look at it as going on a date. <laughs> in this case, a very plutonic she, date. when she comes in, I go, I want her to come back for a second one. Right. And that means often creating this welcoming space to have a client have an experience. Like you were talking about with the client you were working with, you create the space or you create the environment. I am part of the environment, how I respond, to create an experience where a person will feel connection, understanding, some pain reduction perhaps, or enlightened, or something like that so that they will want to come back, that their interest or curiosity gets sparked up, sufficient that they would want to proceed further come again do again despite the pain and suffering that pulls them the other way to shut down
0: right and I think too Annette made a really good point is you know it's okay too if somebody is in a space of actually don't want to hear that things will get better actually don't want to hear that I have what it takes or that other people have been through this sometimes it's just sitting you know I remember being in graduate school and I am of course quite a bit older than 90 percent of my peers in graduate school they were in their 20s I'm turning 40 at the time Mm -hmm. and I remember just feeling so intimidating even though I had had a lot of work you know my own personal work with you and John Uh and others I remember feeling so intimidated and thinking how am I ever going to do this I'm not learning enough I'm not taking in enough and I remember one of the professor saying the most important thing actually i remember a couple of them saying that but in therapy and in that determines the success of therapy is genuineness yeah if you can just be genuine and empathetic your clients are going to make progress just because they have someone who cares and who's holding space with them
1: yeah imagine that you know you, you you hear that and it turns out really Just my presence is enough? And yeah, it is. That's hard to fathom, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. And I think for our listeners to know that, you know, if someone's coming to you in pain, they're coming to you first off because they trust you and you have a gift that they see. So rather than try to make it go away or try to make it better, let them be heard. Connect with the pain in you. That resembles oh, yeah. pain in them, even, even if it's totally different.
1: Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it took me a while to really realize that. And sometimes I still forget that they've already made a decision that you're enough. I don't have yeah. to prove to them that they made a good choice.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, it's kind of like somebody has chosen to come see you. They've chosen to come in. They set up an appointment with me. But then somehow my anxiety popped up way back when. And I miss the fact that they've already decided that they wanted to come in. And I'm thinking I have to somehow prove to them that they want to come in.
0: Right. And remembering my (laughs) compassion comes from the Latin (laughs) Latin words common passion, which means to suffer with. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: there's such a tendency. I used to do this when I was younger. And I think mm-hmm. it's just what I learned in my culture and my upbringing was at least, well, at least, you know, dot, 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 or we'll look at like Annette was saying she didn't want to be that person where someone went, well, look what she went through. What do you have to be complaining about? Yeah. And now I've learned that it's just holding space and saying, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what to say. This has got to be so hard, but just know I'm here for you and we'll breathe through this together.
1: It's kind of like finger painting. We have a few colors, but we don't know what proportions or what the strokes are going to end up being, and we don't want to predecide those. Yeah. All you have to know is how to open the lid to the paint jar. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's really true. <laughs> yeah, really
1: Something true. Something like that. Yeah. And that's it for another Backseat Driver. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with a friend.
0: We'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.